Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist, a confidence boost before your interview, or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your host, Simon. Who is Banksy? The elusive identity of Britain's biggest street artist. I get the feeling we're not going to decode this one because I feel like if someone knew who Banksy was, oh, I mean, obviously someone knows who Banksy is. Banksy knows who Banksy is. Um, and there's definitely people who have to deal with him, like whoever the real version of Banksy is, like John or whatever. But I feel like if his identity had been revealed, I would know about it. So I get the feeling we're not going to successfully decode this one. Anyway, thank you, Danny, who wrote this script. Let's just jump in. Oh, the format of the show, if you're new here, welcome, is uh, I have this long ass script in front of me. Daddy told me this one was long. It goes on and on. We're going to be here forever. <laughs> it's 9.10. Are we going to be done by lunchtime, Daddy? I'm not even sure. Let's go. He's probably the most famous street artist in the world. He's an Yeah, I don't think I could name a single other street artist. No, I definitely can't. He's an anti-capitalist, countercultural maverick who made a fortune from capitalism. Depending on your perspective, he's a genius visionary, a silly prankster, a cheat, or a bloody vandal who wants locking up. He's been responsible for creating some of the most important and valuable art of the last three decades, the majority of which does not exist. He's been voted Britain's favorite artist, the greatest living bit Britain, person of the year, and he's been featured in Time magazine's list of the 100 most influential people. He was voted the greatest living Britain? Surely he's one of the greatest living Britain. He's not the greatest living Britain. He, like, I, I mean... <laughs> I don't want to, like, shit on Banksy too much, because I do find his work, like, insightful and interesting. But Greatest Living Britain? He sprays memes onto buildings. And granted, they're excellent memes, but they are essentially memes. And yet the most baffling thing about Banksy is that we still don't know who he is. Saeed Ahmed had a stroke of misfortune in 2011. He was preparing to open up a new Muslim cultural center by the name of Jalalabad Islamic Center on the streets of Eastman in Bristol. The building had previously been home to a popular social club for over 10 years, but it had fallen into a state of neglect since its glory days, and Saeed knew that he had his work cut out for him in getting the site back into shape. What is a social club? I feel like a social club is something that used to exist in the past, and I would imagine there'd be like pool tables in there, people would be smoking inside, it would stink of beer, it would be cheap. I have no idea what a social club is, bear in mind, but that's what I have in my mind. Like like a working man's club, is that what they were also called back in the day? I feel like it's something my, my nan would know about. I'd ask her, but she's dead. 
For starters, one side of an exterior wall was desperate, in desperate need of a fresh lick of paint as it had become pretty grimy and stained over the years, and some young scallywag had also used it as a canvas for a silly spray-painted picture of a gorilla wearing a pink mask. I'd like to think that Saeed was whistling a merry tune as he rolled up his sleeves, got out the emulsion, and started painting over this act of rebellious vandalism. Sadly, the paint job didn't go down particularly well with the other residents of Eastman, Bristol. This is because Saeed had unwittingly painted over an original piece of street art by the local legend Banksy. Gorilla in a pink mask had become something of a local landmark, and it would cost thousands of pounds to restore this priceless example of a rare surviving Banksy original. Yeah, honestly though, if that's my building, and I didn't know, I just thought it was some graffiti, of course I'd paint over that shit, because I don't want my building to look crap. Said profusely apologized to the local press. Said, don't apologize! I would not apologize for this shit. And explained that he'd never even heard of the famous street artist. He thought he was just painting over worthless juvenile scribble. Yeah, Said, you don't have to apologize if you didn't think you were doing something wrong. Especially when it's fixing your building. You're allowed to paint your own building. To be fair, it's not the only time in history that somebody has accidentally vandalized a piece of vandalism. And when you're an illegal street artist who sprays your stuff onto other people's property without permission, the risk of seeing your work accidentally or purposefully destroyed just goes with the territory. Yeah. Although, if I saw that, I'd be like, let's... Because I believe Banksy has a website, right? Where he says, yeah, that's a Banksy and that's not a Banksy. Because obviously people can copy them. If he sprayed that on my building, I'd be like, okay, we're going to get a team in. They're going to work out how to take that wall out. And that shit's going to be auctioned off. Because <laughs> I love capitalism even more, even more than Banksy. The works of Banksy have unexpectedly appeared on walls, streets, bridges, and trains throughout the world, from Bristol to Barcelona to Bethlehem. Holy shit, Banksy gets around, and lots of other place names that don't start with a B. The gorilla, art, the gorilla artist's signature stencil style images often combine striking visuals with dark humor and subversive slogans, which usually convey some kind of anti-capitalist, anti-war, anti-establishment, anti-imperialism, or anti-bloody-everything message. Some of his more famous examples of street art include a young girl embracing a bomb as if it's a cherished boy, two male police officers snogging, a police officer walking a big fluffy poodle, flossy poodle, military helicopters adorned with pretty pink bows, Mona Lisa armed with a rocket launcher, Winston Churchill rocking a mohawk. I haven't seen a lot of these actually. They sound, I mean, I've seen many, many Banksies and I enjoy them, but I don't know a lot of these. Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta from Pulp Fiction exchanging their guns for bananas, definitely know that one, a teddy bear hurling a Molotov cocktail at three riot police, and Queen Victoria straddling the face of one of her female subjects. Holy shit, <laughs> I haven't seen that one. That's intense. Over the years, Banksy has branched out into flogging signed prints, hosting galleries and art institutions, and pulling off high-profile comedy stunts. But it's quite extraordinary to think that despite enjoying the best part of three decades in the limelight, we're still not sure of Banksy's real identity. I mean, celebrities are generally a bit rubbish at keeping secrets, particularly when it begins to get shared with a growing inner circle of friends. There is more than likely a surprisingly large circle of people in the know with whom Banksy has personally dealt with over the years, but it appears that not one one of them has ever intentionally let the cat out of the bag. It's like the secret that nobody wants to reveal at any price, but surely somebody must have slipped up at some point. I mean, I guess they must have. At some point we will know, because more people will find out and eventually someone will let the secret out and it will be confirmed. So we just have to wait if we don't already know. Not everybody loves Banksy, like Saeed. <laughs> Classic.
The scarce tidbits of information that we know for sure about Banksy have come from his own books, films, social media posts, and, and a few interviews he conducted during his early years with reporters who were sworn to secrecy. Hailing from Barton Hill in Bristol, Banksy had a troubled youth during which he was expelled from school and he later spent a short stint in prison for petty crime. There was already a big street art scene brewing in the underbelly of Bristol in the 1980s, led predominantly by a young guy known as 3D, who would later find huge success in a very different medium, but more on him later. Oh, I want to know what 3D got up to. What is his different medium? Daddy's kind of said it like it's not a, it's not like well he was into street art and then he got really into watercolors. It's going to be like I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be something totally. He's going to be like in banking or something. After 3D packed away his spray cans, Banksy filled the void when he formed a gang or an art collective known as Dry Bread Screw, who brightened up the streets of Bristol for a while in the 1990s before Banksy eventually went solo. Although Banksy started out as a freehand graffiti artist, he changed over to stencil art for a number of reasons. In his 2005 book Wall and Peace, he claims that the main reason was down to reducing the risk of getting arrested. At the age of 18, he and his gang were painting the slogan "Late Again" in big bubble letters on the side of a train when the British Transport Police showed up, prompting everyone to flee the scene panic yeah i like like banksy's art is like not super intrusive it spreads a message it's like you know some it might be a little bit cliche but it's it's nice like really i i do appreciate it despite me making a little bit of fun of it but like late again sprayed on the side of a train that's just vandalism stop it Although his mates made it safely back to their car, Banksy had to make do with hiding motionless under the bottom of a dumper truck for over an hour. As he lay there, getting drenched in leaking engine oil, it occurred to him that he either needed to find a much faster way to paint or give up street art completely. As he stared up at the stenciled plate on the bottom of the fuel tank, he realized the answer was leaking all over his face. He could cut a big chunk out of the risky outdoor painting time by doing most of the hard work beforehand. This would involve drawing outlines of his art onto card and cutting out the shapes for the paint to pass through, so all he had to do on the night was shove the card onto the surface and spray away. Some graffiti artists are a bit dismissive of the stencil art approach and consider it to be cheating. Perhaps they've got a point. Banksy also once claimed that the reason he moved over to stencil art is because he was a bit crap at freehand art. Well, it worked for him, did it? God damn, did it work for him. I wonder how much money he's got. He's got to be mad rich, right? There's no way Google will know how much Banksy's worth because their estimates about how people how much people are worth are rubbish from personal experience banksy net worth but let's see 50 million pounds my gut is he's worth more than 50 million quid isn't he <laughs> he's like one of the most notable artists in the world he's worth more than 50 million quid but we don't know because obviously he could just be like giving all the money away and stuff you don't know it's banksy He's anti-capitalist. In fact, it has to be said that while Banksy may have an army of devoted fans, he certainly has his fair share of critics. Whilst Banksy has always been very open about how greatly influenced by the French graffiti artist Black Larat, who uh, used to spray paint stencil pictures of rats on the streets of Paris in the early 1980s was. Some say that Banksy effectively just stole his strategy and his style. Rats are a common theme in Banksy's work, which also emulates the stencil strategy and political commentary and subversive humor of Black Larat's street art. Chill out, guys. Everything is an evolution. It's not like I'm sure Black Larat or Black Larat or however you're gonna pronounce it, he's French, whatever. I'm sure he derived his style from someone, and Banksy derived his style from him, and I'm sure some other people as well. Um. Everything's a remix. Whilst Bleglerat himself is usually enthusiastic about Banksy's work, he did once admit in a documentary interview that some of Banksy's stuff makes him feel angry when he noted, It's difficult to find a technique and style in art, so when you have a style and you see someone else is taking it and reproducing it, you don't like that. Mm, it changes it a little bit, but still, 
It's like, bro, it's stencil art. Like, my kids have done stencil art. You didn't invent it, Lerat. Other critics are not impressed with the finished result, which they feel amounts to little more than lazy and vague sloganeering for the middle-class hipster elite. Yeah, I mean, it is like, look, you're worth 50 million quid, allegedly. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe you're giving it all away, so you can't really comment on Banksy. But it does appear it's got that... It's definitely got that champagne socialism vibe, doesn't it? Black Mirror creator and Guardian columnist Charlie Brooker once wrote, Charlie Brooker is a very, very funny man. Um, I haven't read any of his columns in ages, but he's very talented. Uh, wrote an entire piece which ripped Banksy to shreds. Oh my God. And observed his work looks dazzlingly clever to idiots. <laughs> it's true. It, I feel like that's, um, what's his face? Um, oh fuck. He's super famous. Uh, fuck. Uh, Peter, Jordan Peterson. Uh, he's like the the smart man for stupid people. I didn't come up with that. Like, I, or some, someone said that and I was like, oh, I see. <laughs> I see. Another sector of the public who don't much care for Banksy are the kind of people who view him as a criminal. To be fair, those people also have a point. Spraying graffiti in public places is an illegal activity which amounts to criminal damage. And let's not forget, there's a very good reason why Banksy was keen to hide his true identity in the early days. It was nothing to do with creating an enigmatic and mysterious persona. It was simply because he didn't want to be arrested for vandalism. Of course, these days, he'll more than likely get away with it. Whenever a surprise piece of new Banksy graffiti surfaces on the streets, it will usually be embraced and promoted as a positive addition to the landscape. Yet if a 14-year-old old kid got caught spraying the exact same artwork in the exact same location, he'd more than likely be given a clip around the lug hole and slapped with an asbo. <laughs> Anti-social behavior order for our American friends. It doesn't always seem entirely fair. Still, not everyone agrees that Banksy should be exempt from the law just because he's a celebrity. Yeah, I mean, there's a fair point there. Even if you want the Banksys, the problem is there's going to be a million kids who are like going around trying to be Banksy so that they can make 50 million quid and have a successful career as a street artist when and that that's directly caused because they see that banksy's getting away with it right which isn't brilliant in 2008 westminster city council took the relatively unusual step of quickly painting over a banksy piece entitled one nation under cctv the chairman of the council robert davis defended his decision to the press banksy has no more right to paint graffiti than a child if we condone this then we might as well say that any kid with a spray can is producing art to go and deface other people's property is graffiti just because he's famous doesn't give him that right honestly robert davis there while sounding like the oldest of old men is absolutely fucking bang on it's probably because i myself have the soul of an old man a year earlier in 2007 the pulp fiction parody featuring john travolta and samuel l jackson wielding bananas was painted over by transport for london who felt that the artwork painted onto a wall near the old street tube station in london created an atmosphere of neglect and social decay which encouraged crime one miffed resident wrote a letter to the local paper banksy's latest work of art is superb if the council wants to do something it should cut down that dreadful shrub uh, which is obscuring the piece and as recently as 2023 a piece of new banksy art which popped up on the side of a house in margate in kent was officially huh used to live near margate um was officially dismantled with almost suspicious hate i mean not that close to margate but I, i'm from kent margate was one of the you know nearish towns valentine's day mascara was an unusual piece as it incorporated physical objects into the artwork believed to be a statement on domestic abuse and violence against women the art depicts a 1950s housewife with a swollen eye and missing tooth shoving her husband into a chest freezer which is actually a real abandoned freezer found in a nearby street the piece is topped off with other abandoned physical objects including 
including a broken patio garden chair and an empty beer bottle. Although both the tenant and the landlord of the property were impressed with the result, the tenant was horrified when the council workers arrived the next morning to throw the physical objects into the truck and effectively ruin the piece, despite the tenant's passionate protest. She later complained, no one was interested if rubbish was on the street. I mean, they were, but not that quickly. Even if you report something to them about taking the rubbish, they're acting one or two weeks later not immediately. That might be something to bear in mind if you live in Margate and your street has started to look like an overflowing dustbin. I know exactly where Daddy's going. Just paint, just just make something that looks like a Banksy and they'll come and clear it away ASAP. Don't tell the council that the rubbish needs ur urgently sorting out. Just tell them Banksy's paid you a visit and they'll be faster with you than a toupee in a hurricane. <laughs> okay. Missing presumed wiped. None of this controversy seems to have done Banksy much harm in the long term. After branching out from the streets of Bristol and London in the late 1990s, his acts of illegal vandalism gained a wider and highly appreciative audience over the next two decades as his work turned up in places like San Francisco, Vienna, the Gaza Strip, and Ukraine. But the problem with street art is it's not always destined to last a particularly long time. In fact, it's believed that the vast majority of Banksy's original street art no longer exists. Aside from those official removals, there have been plenty of cock-ups in which artwork was mistakenly whitewashed by council contractors who felt they were just doing their job in getting the streets clean, but hadn't been made aware of the significance of the iconic artwork they were destroying. Yeah, of course they were. It's just because you'll be like, there must be a million people emulating Banksy out there. Like the bunch of kids who want to, you know, want to make a bag. 50 mil um so of course the council workers are just painting over that shit all the time because that's what they do they paint over graffiti and god bless them for it because graffiti is horrible and it ruins cities one particularly famous image of a parachuting rat and enjoyed a 15 year stint on a wall in praran victoria australia before a group group of clumsy builders unwittingly destroyed it when they smashed through the wall to install piping for a proposed new cafe other pieces have been defaced or naturally damaged over the years although some mysterious disappearances are down to sheer greed yeah people just nicking it. <laughs> An image depicting a child holding a crowbar like a shovel whilst building a sandcastle had adorned the side of a shop in Suffolk for many years. The sandcastle was a physical element which had long been lost to the sands of time, but the main artwork of the child remained intact until one day in 2021 when the whole segment of wall just vanished. That wasn't theft though. The owner of the property had originally had the shop valued at around £300,000, but later discovered that Banksy's artwork had increased the value to half a million. However, he didn't seem too keen on the idea of selling the shop. Instead, he just had the entire section of wall dismantled and bundled into a van so that it could be sold for an undisclosed sum at an auction in California. Much to the annoyance of local residents, he found the move to be greedy and disrespectful to the community. Yes, yes. However, there's a really strong argument against that, and it's £500,000. I'm sorry, but I would do that. I would definitely do that. I'm like, you sprayed it onto my wall. That's mine. I'm. If Banksy wants to come back and spray paint another one onto someone else's wall to make up for my greed, fine. <laughs> No, I don't know if I'd do that. I mean, there's but the, for like half a million quid. I don't know. It's a lot of money. But there's obviously gonna be a point where it's enough money for me to be like, yeah, I gotta do that. I'm sorry. I got it. You got it. Everyone has a number, unless you're like an absolute saint. Still, so you can't really blame him in a way, as he was the rightful owner of the shop, and he probably made a mint from someone defacing the side of it. It doesn't always work out that way, though. Spare a thought for 60-year-old Sam Khan, who ran a market stall in London selling suitcases and football scarves. After discovering that Banksy had vandalized the size of his stall, Sam thought he'd done pretty well out of it and accepted an offer from a random stranger to buy the artwork for a grand. Oh, Sam, no. No, no, no. But Sam sp should have spent a little more time reading up on Banksy. It turns out that the graffiti on his stall was probably worth close to half a million.
Mate, if someone comes along, you just got to do a little bit of research. Just a little bit. Just make sure someone's like, yeah, I'll give you a grand. Like, can you imagine walking along and be like, I'll give you a grand friend. The guy's like, yeah, sure. I'll just go to a cash machine immediately, get the grand. And just be like, excellent. <laughs> you got to check into this stuff. If someone's just like, I'll give you a grand, just Google that shit. It's worth noting that any piece of Banksy artwork is likely to be much more valuable if it's received a significant a certificate of authentication from Pest Control. This is the cheekily named handling service set up by Banksy and overseen by his management to protect genuine Banksy pieces and prevent fakes from flooding the market. I thought so. It's a website, right? However, with just a very few exceptions, you're never going to get a certificate for his street art, as this was never intended for sale in the first place, and Banksy does not condone the selling of street art, which has been removed from public view. So whilst the owner of that shop may have made a few quid, a few bloody quid, he made half a million, didn't he? So whilst the owner of that shop may have made a few quid, did, wait, I mean the one guy made a grand, which is not bad, the other guy made half a mil. It won't have gone down well with either Banksy or Pest Control, and he wouldn't have been able to get his hands on a certificate. Yeah, but they know it's genuine because it was on that, like, website or Pest Control or whatever it was at some point. So I mean, they can remove that but people still know it's the real thing. Instead of tearing down a Banksy piece or nicking an entire section of wall, you'd probably just be better off buying a genuine signed and certified print reproduction of the original piece. Whilst most of Banksy's original street art may not have survived, the imagery at least lives on in his print reproductions, which regularly exchange hands at auction art auctions for vast sums of money. And this is because by the turn of the millennium, Banksy had chosen to expand beyond the confines of street art, which would be fairly difficult to take on tour and show off in exhibitions. Now on the brink of anonymous megastardom, Banksy had taken an interest in displaying his prints and portraits and weird art installations in star-studded gallery exhibitions around the world. If you ever visit one yourself, just bear in mind that you're unlikely to catch a glimpse of the celebrity host, or rather you might catch a glimpse of the celebrity host lurking in the background, but you'll be completely unaware that you did. Of course, a Banksy exhibition isn't much like your average art exhibition. In one of his early exhibitions in London in 2005, he surprised visitors by randomly releasing 200 live rats into the gallery, another possible homage to his hero, Black Le Rat. One of Banksy's most famous exhibitions, titled Barely Legal, was held a year later in Los Angeles and attracted some pretty prestigious visitors and buyers, including Keanu Reeves, Jude Law, Brad Pitt, and Angelina Jolie. Bansky appeared to be enjoying the step into Hollywood. In his own words, Hollywood is a town where they honor their heroes by writing their names on the pavement to be walked on by fat people and peed on by dogs. It seems like a great place to come and be ambitious. <laughs> savage. With one of the more controversial pieces on display here was a portrait of Mother Teresa captioned with the heartwarming slogan, I learnt a valuable lesson from this woman, moisturize every day. Oh, Banksy, it's Mother Teresa, that's savage. However, it has to be said that there was an elephant in the room at the barely legal exhibition. I mean, there was literally a Jesus Christ, there was an 8,000 pound elephant on display? which have been coated in red paint and decorated to match the surrounding wallpaper. This is a real live elephant that's been painted red? Holy shit! This was apparently meant to be a statement on global poverty. According to the flyers, there's an elephant in the room. 20 billion people live below the poverty line. Um, what? No, they don't. There's not, there's not 20 billion people on Earth. There's like 9 billion, isn't there? Am I missing a joke? However, animal rights activists are more concerned that the sorrow of elephants appear to be drenched in toxic paint. And while it's art, guys! That's allowed if it's art. And whilst the owners of the elephant insisted that it appeared in many movies and was used to a bit of makeup, the elephant had been hosed down for the final day of the exhibition. I don't understand that 20 billion thing, people thing. That doesn't make sense. 
Banksy the Prankster When he's not releasing live rats and dragging painted elephants into his galleries, Banksy often likes to amuse himself in other ways, and some might say that he's just as famous for his comedy pranks and stunts than his artwork. In 2006, he briefly managed to install an unsolicited piece of art alongside the path of Big Thunder Mountain Railroad in Disneyland in California. It was an inflatable doll dressed up in an orange jumpsuit and handcuffs in what was meant to be a statement on the plight of prisoners held at Guantanamo Bay. This was on display for 90 minutes before the ride was temporarily closed down so that the Guantanamo Bay prisoner could be escorted from the premises. A couple of years earlier, while wearing a disguise consisting of a trench coat and fake beard, it managed to sneak a new version of the Mona Lisa into the Louvre in Paris, complete with a new smiley face sticker. Bloody hell. That's <laughs> quite impressive. It's like a reverse theft. And in 2005, he caused more than a little embarrassment for the British Museum when he planted a new, supposedly authentic cave painting depicting a caveman pushing a shopping trolley. The British Museum was clearly caught napping as this painting was baffling visitors for three whole days before it was eventually spotted by staff and taken down. I mean, to the, in, in their excuse, the British Museum is fucking big and it's full of this kind of shit. So, yeah. But still. However, perhaps Banksy's most legendary stunt of all was the notorious shredding incident, although it's debatable who exactly had the last laugh with this one. Yes, this one's brilliant. I'm not gonna repeat it, tell it, because Danny will just repeat it in a second, but it's so good. Girl with Balloon first appeared as a piece of street art on the side of a shop in Shoreditch in 2002, but it was removed by the owners in 2017 and sold for a reported half a million pounds. The image depicts a young girl reaching out for a balloon which is being carried away with the winds alongside the caption, There is always hope. This is apparently a critique on how modern society forces children to grow up too fast. Okay, it's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? Or maybe my brain's just too small to get it, but whatever. Although the original may have been removed, a framed canvas version exchanged hands several times before it was put up for auction at Sotheby's in London in 2018, where it fetched £1.04 million, a new record high for a Banksy piece. So, I don't want to sound insane, but that is not a lot of money when it comes to art. Like, when you consider that, what, paintings change hands for like £800 million, or dollars, or something. Like, what's the most expensive painting ever sold? Most expensive paintings at auction. Oh, okay, so not 800, but half a bill. So, that's a lot. A million for a Banksy, who's arguably one of the famous, most famous living artists is uh kind of seems like a bit of a bargain to be honest <laughs> unbeknownst to the seller the buyer or Sotheby's, the picture was hiding what was presumably a remote control shredding device within the frame as the gavel came down the picture suddenly began to slide out of the bottom of the frame in freshly shredded form much to the audible surprise of the audience the auctioneers and the poor women who had just shelled out over a million quid for a few tatty bits of paper it's not known for sure how the device was activated, although there was a suspicious-looking geezer in the crowd wearing tinted spectacles who just happened to be filming the whole thing on his mobile phone. It's possible that he somehow activated the shredder at the perfect moment, and of course it's possible that the bloke in question was Banksy himself. It was certainly the same footage which appeared on Banksy's own Instagram account the following day. This was accompanied by footage of the original installation of the shredding mechanism concealed in the frame and a caption which read, A few years ago, I secretly built a shredder into a painting, in case it was ever put up for auction. The shredding didn't entirely go to plan on that day, though. The idea had been for the mechanism to shred the whole image as it slipped through the bottom of the frame, but it jammed about halfway through, leaving the top of the painting intact. Yeah, because you're going to have batteries in there, right? That's how it's going to be powered, and those batteries are eventually just going to lose their charge. So maybe they had enough to get going, but then they were so depleted that they couldn't make it all the way through the shred, because that's going to take quite a bit of power. You're powering like a motor. The buyer couldn't complain too much as they were still getting half a picture for their million pounds. Yeah, it's going to be worth so much more as well because of the media coverage of that. Another caption on Banksy's Instagram glumly noted, In rehearsals, it worked every time. 
In the immediate aftermath of the partial self-destruction, Sotheby's played it cool. The auctioneer hastily announced that it was time to move on, while employees quickly grabbed what was left of the painting and bundled it out of view. Sotheby's later officially declared that they'd been banksied and insisted that they were most definitely not in on the prank, although some have speculated why nobody from the auction house bothered to question the ridiculous size and weight of the frame. I can't imagine Sotheby's would be involved in this. They're way too Sotheby's. <laughs> One artist and blacksmith from Chicago by the name of Josh Gilbert reckons that the comedy stunt was not quite what it seemed. After studying the shredding in the Instagram footage of the mechanism, the former magician insists that the whole incident was an illusion. Josh claims that the shredding mechanism just didn't make sense and the blades weren't sitting anywhere near the painting. He believes that the real painting actually just rolled down into a hidden compartment at the back of the frame while a pre-shredded version slid out from the bottom. However, the general consensus is that Girl with the Balloon was genuinely partially shredded and this left the auction house, the seller, and the buyer with a bit of a prickly million-pound problem. Although the buyer only identified as a European woman was initially a bit annoyed to see her new purchase torn to bits within seconds of buying it, she eventually decided to proceed with the sale anyway. She said, At first I was shocked, but gradually I began to realize that I would end up with my own piece of art history. As soon as I saw that, I was like, this is good for this value. Especially the half shredding. Even if it had been fully shredded, I still think it would be good for the value, just the empty frame and the shredded paper. It would be worth more. It'd be like a modern art. It was unclear for a while if the shredding would destroy or enhance the value of the work. Some expert. Oh, wait, do we not know? Surely it increased it massively. Some art experts suggested that it might actually double the value of the piece. In fact, it did much more than that! And it turns out the buyer had made a shrewd decision in pushing on with the purchase. Short, how much, how much? Shortly after the incident, Banksy announced that the piece had been given the new name of Love in the Bin, and Pest Control quickly reauthenticated the work with its new title. That is giving it money right there. At this point, Sotheby's got quite excited and exclaimed, Banksy didn't destroy an artwork in the auction, he created one. This is the first artwork in history to have been created live during an auction. The buyer, I just saw the figure. I just saw the figure. It's insane. The buyer had reason to be excited too. Within the space of just three years, she put up the partially shredded piece for auction at Sotheby's, where it sold to an anonymous Asian collector. Collector. <laughs> How much do you think it is in your mind? Just picture a number. <laughs> it's 18 million quid. <laughs> God damn. This does make you wonder if Banksy's original intention of vandalizing a piece of expensive artwork and wrecking an auction kind of backfired, or whether his move to retitle and reauthenticate the piece indicated a change of heart since he first constructed the shredding mechanism years earlier. It also makes you wonder where exactly he gets his money from. Sellout. Banksy's net worth is estimated to be in the region of $50 million, as we already know, although I'm not entirely sure where that figure has been plucked from. Honestly, Danny. It's probably from the air. Like, these celebrity net worth ones, it's like, I don't know. I've looked it up myself, because if you search my name into Google, like, it's like space net worth often comes up. And some of them are, like, reasonably correct, and some are just wildly wrong, both in the up and down directions. And the range is insane. <laughs> so, I'm like, I, I don't put a lot of stock into these, and it's like, well, how could someone possibly know how much I worth? They don't know. They don't know how much money I earn. That's the thing they can guess at the best, but they don't really know. And they don't know how much money I spend. They don't know how much money I invest. They don't know any of that stuff. So it's like you're just pulling numbers out of your ass most of the time. It's hard enough to obtain, ascertain a genuine net worth when you know who the person you're talking about is. Whilst many Banksy pieces have fetched considerable sums at auction, the truth is that Banksy is not the one getting rich from those sales. In fact, he usually sells his stuff for very reasonable prices, which later balloons in value at auctions. But it's the dealers who are raking in all of the profits from the artist's original work. And it must be frustrating on some level 
Bible when he flogs a print for a few hundred pounds, only to see it raise tens of millions for the buyer a few years down the line. Yeah, it's kind of like... Yeah, no, that must be very frustrating. <laughs> it may have been during one of those darker moments when he first came up with the idea of the shredding mechanism. Then, of course, there's the street art, which he provides for free, but which often gets dismantled by the lucky owner of the chunk of the wall, which the artist chose to use as a canvas. Plenty of other people are making a fortune from Banksy, but the artist himself doesn't always seem too bothered about chasing the dough. In the past, he's claimed to have turned down four lucrative advertising jobs for Nike, while his website has encouraged visitors to download and, imprint and print his images for free. He even recommends hanging around at work until everyone in the office has gone for lunch and then using the company's gloss paper and printering. <laughs> Legend. <laughs> On the rare occasion that Banksy auctions off a piece of original art, all the proceeds are usually given to a good cause. There was a, there, we had these uh, color laser printers at school, and you had a very limited uh, number of color laser prints that you could print off. But for some reason, there was a very old computer in one of the like computer rooms, and whenever you printed from that one, it just didn't register. It was just like, no, it's cool like you'd print the color laser like and it would just not register it as a credit for some reason like i don't know if the software just wasn't compatible on that machine but i printed out i basically covered an entire wall of my bedroom in posters like movie posters and all of that stuff that i printed out at school on their color laser printer it must have been an absolute fortune and this was like 20 years ago it must have been an absolute fortune in color laser uh ink so, thank you, school. <laughs> On the rare occasions that Banksy auctions off an original piece, all the proceeds are usually given to a good cause. To pick just a couple of examples from a quite incredible list, he sold three original paintings in 2020, which formed a triptych entitled Mediterranean Sea View. The sale raised £2.2 million, which was donated to a hospital in Bethlehem. And during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2021, he expressed his gratitude to the National Health Service workers in the UK by gifting a painting to a hospital in Southampton. The piece entitled Game Changer depicted a boy playing with a nurse doll dressed in a superhero costume, and it went on to raise £14.4 million at Christie's, with all the profits going to NHS-related organisations and charities fucking legend that's really awesome he can occasionally get a bit shirty who feels that other businesses are profiting from his designs back in 2019 he took legal action against a british greeting cards company called full color black who were selling cards featuring photographs of a piece of banksy street art called flower thrower well yeah you can't do that <laughs> it's banksy's work to sell pest control had acquired the trademark right oh okay Pest Control had required the trademark rights for this piece back in 2014, so they trademarked it. You can't just use someone else's trademark. And Banksy seemed to think that Full Color Black were attempting to take custody of both the trademark and his own name. He released a statement which grumbled, A greetings card company is contesting the trademark I hold to my art and attempting to take custody of my name so they can sell fake Banksy merchandise legally. I think they're banking on the idea that I won't show up in court to defend myself. Um, yeah, you don't have to. Someone else can show up in court on your behalf. They're called a lawyer. <laughs> What? You're flying close to the sun, greeting cards company. The matter went all the way to the European Union Intellectual Property Office, who questioned whether Banksy had ever even made use of the trademark, which is meant to be exploited within the first five years of registration. Why does it be a trademark? Can't it just be like his um, copyright or something? I don't know. I don't know enough about this, to be honest. But it does seem a bit much that they are using his art on a greeting card and not paying him. That's not really cool. You're making a lot of money from that, I'm sure. 
As he still had a tiny window of time remaining, Banksy took the quite shameless step of randomly launching a new pop-up store in Croydon, South London, which went by the catchy name of Gross Domestic Product. The, the store naturally sold a few products relating to the flower thrower design, and this was meant to prove that Banksy was indeed making use of his own trademark. But Gross Domestic Product also sold a range of other products labeled as impractical and offensive, including disco balls made from police riot helmets, a children's counting toy which comes complete with wooden migrant figures, <laughs> Jesus, and a big haulage truck and a handbag made Made from a house brick um i don't know if people knew these were banksies when that shop opened but holy shit <laughs> if you if you did you, you can make it some money from those because i'm sure they're worth a lot now not that you could just go into the store and buy any of this stuff as the doors never opened instead you had to enter a, a weird online lottery system and answer vague questions about the meaning of art after which only a small group of lucky people would be deemed worthy of becoming a customer as a business model it sounds a bit rubbish and of course such a blatantly half-assed attempt to fulfill tra trademark requirements under eu law was never destined to go down very well with the intellectual property office <laughs> those humorless bastards <laughs> i can't help feeling that banksy may have picked the wrong battle to begin with it's not as if full color black was a giant company intent on screwing over banksy it was a tiny three-person business which was selling legal photographs of public graffiti oh okay i see i see so they it's that's why he trademarks it because it gets around the fact that yeah that is just graffiti in a public place which uh, we took a photograph of i see well, okay. I guess that's why this went quite far. Okay, I'm sorry, greeting card company. I take it back. You obviously knew what you were doing. I kind of hoped it was like <laughs> one of those, you know, the big, the, the greetings card company that comes to mind when you think of greetings card company. As I was hoping it was them. And I was kind of hoping for a David versus Goliath, Banksy versus giant company, which I keep wanting to name, but I won't name. Because um, that would have been more fun. But instead, it's like just too small. Well, no, not the Banksy's small, but you know what I mean. It's less exciting when it's not like David versus Goliath. In their defense, they also claim that they'd tried to offer royalties to Banksy, but have been met with a defaced wall of silence. Um, that's not. <laughs> that's no. It's possible that Banksy may have had more success if he'd been able to acquire the copyright for Flamethrower, as this specifically prevents copywriting, reproduction, or distribution of specific pieces of work, rather than just protecting the unique identification of a brand or logo. But this would have required him to reveal his identity. Besides, as Banksy himself once pointed out in one of his books, copyright is for losers. The panel judges from the EU Intellectual Property Office actually referenced this quote when they ruled in favor of Full Color Black and noted Banksy's disdain for copyright law. They felt that Banksy was simply trying to circumvent copyright laws by filing a trademark claim in bad faith and resorting to actions which are inconsistent with honest practices um yeah i think they're they're, they're probably right about that and the trade like like i said that trademark was a way for him to protect something that he couldn't copyright right i guess trademarks are not for losers uh, this kind of thing does throw up a few troubling inconsistencies and ironies in the long career of the countercultural hero. He's the anti-corporate guerrilla artist who has no truck with copyright, but still decides to hire expensive lawyers to sue a small business over piffing over a piffling trademark dispute. And he's the anti-establishment and anti-capitalist crusader who has grown incredibly wealthy by becoming part of the same establishment he was meant to be satirizing. It's true that he doesn't pick up the millions of pounds that his work fetches at auction, but he's almost certainly done pretty well for himself from private sales, best-selling books and hit films including the 2010 oscar-nominated documentary exit through the gift shop which grossed over five million dollars at the box office he asked the academy if he could attend the ceremony in a monkey mask but permission was refused so he didn't show up although i suppose it's possible that banksy is actually george clooney seems 
highly unlikely. Critics have pointed out that Banksy can hardly still describe himself as a social activist from the streets when he's attracting wealthy celebrity buyers at glitzy art exhibitions in Hollywood. Well, it doesn't matter where he is, it matters where he comes from. It's like a social activist from the streets. It's not like suddenly because he's all glitzy at glitzy parties doesn't mean he doesn't come from there. That hasn't changed. Some have even blatantly accused the artist of being a corporate sellout. It's an accusation which Banksy has defended in print. He says, I've been called a sellout, but I give away thousands of paintings for free. How many more do you want? The money that my work fetches these days makes it a bit uncomfortable, but that's an easy problem to solve. You just stop whinging and give it all away. I don't think it's possible to make art about world poverty and then trouser all the cash. That's an irony too far, even for me. I fully agree. I'm with Banksy on this one. Um, anyone like doing the corporate sellout thing? I don't know where you think you got that from, but you can shut up because it seems that he gives an insane amount of money away. Um, seems to be just a pretty good dude. So, yeah, fuck off with that, in my opinion. He does, however, concede that it's not always easy for an anti-capitalist to entirely escape the capitalist riches gained from protesting about capitalism. I love the way capitalism finds a place, even for its enemies. It's definitely boom time in the discontent industry. I mean, how many cakes does Michael Moore get through? <laughs> Okay. Still, wrestling with this kind of inner conflict must be enough to trigger an identity crisis in the wealthy, anti-establishment, anonymous celebrity superstar. And if he's struggling with his own identity, how are the rest of us supposed to know where to start in figuring it out? Oh yeah, we're some <laughs> I feel like so far we've just been doing a history of Banksy and I've been totally absorbed with it, but we're here to find out who he is. I mean, we're not going to, spoiler alert, but there's going to be a list of the next section titled the suspects. You'll notice that I've been referring to Banksy as a he throughout this script, and of course we can't take that for granted. There don't appear to be any compelling female suspects in the frame, though. And the strongest case put forward for Banksy being a woman is that unlike the vast majority of street art, women are depicted in Banksy's work. Oh, and a female artist is briefly glimpsed in Exit Through the Gift Shop. There's not much else to go on, really, but that doesn't mean it can't be ruled out completely. Now, before we move on to the major suspects, there are and there are two in particular who seem highly credible, it's worth mentioning some of the many false alarms. In 2013, a story circulated in the press which seemed to confirm Banksy's identity had finally been revealed. A Liverpudlian by the name of Paul Horner had apparently been apprehended in the act by a vigilante anti-graffiti task force which had ultimately led to Banksy's arrest and public unmasking. In fact, the story was first broken by the fake website National Reporter and was written by an American hoax writer of the name Paul Horner. Despite the story swiftly getting debunked after newspapers and websites spread the report without checking the facts, it continued to resurface for years to follow. In 2014, Brooklyn engineer Richard Pfeiffer was arrested by police in Manhattan after he was supposedly caught in the act polishing off the last Banksy piece. One of the police officers on the scene insisted that they saw Richard do it and a marker pen was found in the suspect's pocket. Richard had actually just been walking down the street with his girlfriend and they had both paused to admire the supposed Banksy piece before the police swooped in. The piece in question had never been officially confirmed as the work of Banksy and Richard was able to demonstrate that the marker in his pocket was not the same one used for the drawing, but he still had to put up with being detained for 24 hours and the case wasn't officially dropped until months later. It's a graffiti case, police! <laughs> How much research are you doing into this? Just slap him with a fine, let him fight it in court if he wants to, and move on. Meanwhile, in Melbourne, Australia, a video surfaced in 2016 which quickly went viral. The female YouTuber behind the camera comes across a mysterious, bespectacled man in a hooded sweatshirt shirt who, with the aid of an accomplice, is finishing off a painting on a wall which has clearly been signed off as Banksy. The man doesn't seem to take too kindly to being filmed. After telling the YouTuber to fuck off, he runs away from the scene and manages to ultimately evade the woman in hot pursuit. Whether this was staged or not is unclear, but Banksy's team have insisted that the artwork is fake and pointed out that the piece does not match Banksy's signature style. 
I mean, that could be them covering it up, but the fact that it doesn't match the style is just too much of a coincidence. Photographic evidence of a much more authentic nature surfaced in 2004 when the man in a high-vis jacket was snapped as he began work on a painting of a massive rat on the side of the White Horse pub in Liverpool. The piece was later identified as a genuine Banksy, and it's very probable that the man in the photograph is indeed the man behind the artwork. The only frustrating thing is that you can't really see his face in the crap photograph. King Robbo. So let's move on to some of the slightly more credible suspects, which don't involve hoax news stories or wrongful arrests or lying police officers. For quite a while, there was an intriguing theory that Banksy's alter ego was one of his own biggest rivals, an underground graffiti artist by the name of King Robbo, whose parents know him as John Robertson. At the age of just 15, King Robbo had painted a graffiti piece on the side of a canal wall in London. Entitled King Robbo Incorporated, the piece oh, was only accessible by water, which possibly explains why the authorities couldn't be asked to remove it unlike the majority of Robbo's other works. King Robbo later claimed he had been pleased as punch to be introduced to Banksy at a swanky party in the 90s, but whereas Robbo had extended the hand of friendship, he claims that Banksy was snootily dismissive and had tried to make out that he'd never even heard of Robbo or his work, prompting Robbo to eventually slap him in the face, saying the words, You won't forget me now, will you? That's insane. <laughs> Robbo, what are you up to? <laughs> Bearing in mind that Robbo was 6 foot 8 inches tall and built like a brick shithouse, it was Banksy who widely left the party. 6 foot 8. That is a large person. This led to a rather childish feud in which the pair began defacing each other's work and producing new pieces which trashed the other artist. Most notably, King Robbo's famous canal piece was allegedly defaced by Banksy who added the letters F-U-C to the beginning of the slogan so that instead of reading King Robbo Inc, it now read Fucking Robbo Inc. <laughs> Hilarious. It was long speculated that King Robbo and Banksy were one and the same person, and that he was actually arguing with himself to create a fake graffiti war. That would be a very clever big brain marketing ploy. There are certain aspects of the story that do seem a bit weird. If King Robbo really did hate Banksy so much and knew his real identity, you'd think that they would have been tempted to reveal it. But this theory doesn't hold much water nowadays, largely because, because King Robbo tragically died in 2014, a state of affairs which doesn't seem to have hindered Banksy's future work. Okay, well we can easily rule out King Robbo then, can't we? Jamie Hewlett <laughs> A more likely living suspect is the comic book creator, illustrator, and songwriter Jamie Hewlett, who is probably most famous for creating the Tank Girl comic books and co-founding the band, the virtual band Gorillaz, with Blur frontman Damon Albarn. One, I didn't know Gorillaz were a virtual band. They sing that song, ba ba da ba da ba 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 da ba da, right? Clint Eastwood, is that what it's called? It was super famous when I was at school. And I didn't know it was fronted by Damon Albin of Blur, who also sings songs. Woohoo! Yeah, that's right, song time. I'm trying to think of a Blur song. Some of Banksy's artwork has appeared in Gorilla's music videos, while there's also a strong connection with Blur. Banksy painted a mural specifically to pr promote a Blur single, whilst in a rare commercial move that helped him pay the bills, he was also commissioned to create the artwork for Blur's underwhelming 2003 album, Think Tank. But there may also be a financial connection between Banksy and Jamie Hewlett. In 2018, a forensic expert who requested to remain anonymous over fears of receiving hate mail after unmasking Banksy claimed to have made a startling discovery. He reckoned that he'd obtained access to company paper trails which proved that Jamie Hewlett had a financial connection with every single company that Banksy had ever been involved with. The expert told the press, I really believe it could be Jamie Hewlett, or at least he seems to own all things Banksy. This paper trail was never shared with the public, so it's hard to know for sure. Well, why not? Like, you can't just be like, yeah, I've got proof. And people are like, show me the proof. And you're like, no, <laughs> then you don't. Or I mean, uh, were we supposed to just believe you? 
And Jamie Hewlett enjoys such a busy career in his own right as an award-winning comic artist and writer and music video director and band member that it's hard to see if he'd find the time or inclination to be Banksy on the side. I disagree with that. I think the very fact that he does all of this stuff indicates that it wouldn't be... Like, if someone's like, I'm too busy working as a lawyer or whatever to do this stuff but if someone does comic books and music and directing and writing is it so much to say and art i don't think it is but it's interesting to note that an official banksy publicist took the time to deny this allegation in a statement which read i can confirm that jamie hewlett is not the artist banksy oh okay but he misspelled hewitt like danny bolded this for me it's equally interesting to note that she spelled Jamie's surname wrong in the statement. This could have been a careless, careless typo, a purposeful ploy to fuel more speculation, or attempt to ensure that this official denial wasn't technically a lie. Ooh, that's fascinating. That is pretty compelling. I think that's very, very compelling. Even though it's like there's no evidence, the guy who claimed to have the 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 financial things, but dunno, seems pretty compelling, doesn't it? Neil Buchanan? met neil buchanan is <laughs> everyone like danny wrote this script so they'll be like so neil buchanan hosts a tv show called art attack and i was on art attack when i was a kid and uh i was in like a, a scene with neil buchanan it's very exciting for young simon to meet neil buchanan my favorite theory by far is that banksy is none other than cheerful liverpudlian children's tv presenter neil buchanan although neil first turned to tv presenting as far back as the early 1980s he's perhaps best known as being the host behind the long-running art attack show which originally ran from 1990 to 2007. not only was this show famous for its hugely ambitious large-scale art projects undertaken by neil himself it was also famous for giving the world its first visual glimpse of a very young simon whistler in 1999 that's right that's right 1999 holy shit that was a long time ago. I think that was the first thing. I did a few couple of things on TV. I think that was the first thing. I found it hard to get my head around this theory at first, as it just seems so unfathomably unlikely. Neil is a creative genius, but he also comes across as a bubbly and ridiculously enthusiastic individual who is clearly very much suited to the medium of kids' television. Yeah, I remember meeting him, and he was much more serious in real life. He was just like standing in a corridor wearing a leather jacket and he was it was nice he seemed like a nice dude like this is very very i mean i was 12 1999 so i barely have memories of this but i do remember like being like oh he's not like hey kids of course he's not someone someone uh bumped into me the other day i was like oh you sound different in real life and i don't know i, I feel like i guess when i'm making a video like this is different to how i'd talk to someone because i'm being loud but i didn't think my he was like your voice sounds different i'm like yeah I, I, maybe i guess i'm not presenting something to you right now we're just having a chat the idea of him ever being part of rebellious underground graffiti scene just seems absurd but it turns out that neil had something of a surprisingly colorful history before he moved into children's television in 1976 he formed an angry heavy metal band called marseille who may have been largely forgotten today as they didn't achieve mainstream success but they did win a uk battle of the bands competition in 1977 and went on to tour the united states performing alongside the likes of judas priest and whitesnake holy shit okay that's like i mean that feels like quite mainstream success those are huge bands 
Neil left the band amid le messy legal disputes in 1980, although the original lineup reformed for a reunion tour and a new album around 20 years later. The theory that Neil might also be Banksy is rooted in the idea that several Banksy pieces have popped up in locations where Marseille used to perform gigs, but Neil didn't seem too keen on the association, and his official website tried to shut down the rumors in 2020 when they posted, Neil Buchanan isn't Banksy. We have been inundated with inquiries over the weekend regarding the current social media story. Unfortunately, this website doesn't have the infrastructure to answer all of these queries individually. However, we can confirm that there is no truth in this rumor whatsoever. So that's settled then. Besides, despite his heavy roots, Neil Buchanan is still probably a bit too commercial and corporate to be Banksy, and may even have a fatter bank account. It's reported that when the time came to sell the rights to Art Attack, he pocketed the sum of £14 million. God damn, Neil. BOOM! And that's about the same money it'd have raised by performing Marseille gigs every single night for 150,000 years. Um, didn't we say Banksy was worth 50 mil? I think Banksy, I mean, I guess, I don't know. It's so hard to know. You don't know. And, like, it's reported that the sum was 14 million. According to who? That's not going to be public information. Billy Gannon. Perhaps the strangest and most bewildering theory also appears to be the only theory that led to a surprisingly dramatic consequence in which somebody lost their job. In 2022, 58-year-old Billy Gannon was elected unopposed to the Pembroke Dock Council in Southwest Wales, but he found himself almost immediately mired in allegations that he was actually the street vandal Banksy. It's true that Billy had long served as a celebrated local community artist and had contributed artwork to hospital walls and children's playgrounds. He was also a big fan of Banksy. He admitted to the press, I absolutely love him, or him, her, them. The guy's a hero. He'll always have a special place in my heart. His work is for everyone. To be honest, it's pretty obvious that Billy is not Banksy. For starters, he's just way too old, and Les Banksy was pushing 30 by the time he first started spray painting graffiti in public places. But that didn't stop the local circulation of the rumors, alongside allegations that a Pembroke Dock counselor was operating under a false identity and had lied about his age. It was starting to get a little troublesome for poor Billy. In his own words, the problem I have is that when I say to people I'm not Banksy, I can see this look in their eyes, and they say, that's what Banksy would say. Yeah, but that could apply to fucking anything. Billy strongly believed that the malicious rumors were originally spread by a former Pembroke Dock counselor who had an axe to grind over Billy's new position. If this was true, it would seem that the perpetrator achieved his goal as Billy Gannon swiftly took the surprising decision to resign, making him possibly the only UK counselor in history to have been forced into a resignation on the grounds that he wasn't somebody else. What bullshit? That is... Fuck that. <laughs> Why did he have to resign? It might seem a bit drastic to quit your job over such a silly rumor. It does. Billy pointed out that he felt the rumors were undermining his ability to carry on working and that they were a distraction to the important issues of the town, as everyone was just banging on about how there was an imposter sitting on the council. This is a bit much, isn't it? Just be like, I'm not him. Let's just move on. Sometimes you just, like, I don't know. Just sometimes it's just best to ignore shit. Don't even address it. Just be like, I'm not addressing that. Like, just, just ignore it and it will go away. Whereas if you talk about it and deny it and blah, 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 then it gets much more attention. Just be like, silly. Not, not dealing with this. Just don't even answer. That's what I do. <laughs> More significantly, the rumors appear to be sparking a fresh wave of vandalism in the town as pranksters began spraying amateurish Banksy-esque graffiti over the local parks, benches, walls, and dustbins. Billy felt that the only way to stop the vandalism was to step down from his job. Even after he quit, he continued to be heckled in the streets, prompting him to form a new I Am Not Banksy movement. Using a cheap badge-making machine, Billy intends to create and distribute as many I Am Not Banksy badges as possible, and 
in what may prove to be a devilishly cunning plan. The idea is that if you're not Banksy, you should take an I am not Banksy badge and wear it wherever you go. If you are in fact Banksy, then you should most definitely not take a badge and not wear it wherever you go. If everyone in the world is offered a badge at some point and follows this guidance, we should eventually be able to ascertain the real identity of the artist. Billy Grannon uh, was clearly wasted on the council. Stay tuned for updates. <laughs> it's just a bit silly, isn't it? It's like funny that he leans into it, I guess. Goldie's slip-up before we move on to the two main suspects, it's worth noting that the cat may well have been let out of the bag during a slip-up in a podcast interview in 2017. Goldie struck it big in the 1990s when he became a prominent figure in the UK music scene, notably dabbling in jungle, drum and bass, and breakbeat hardcore. I've never heard of Goldie. I have heard of jungle. I have heard of drum and bass. I've never heard of breakbeat hardcore. It sounds like something I, I wouldn't enjoy, if I'm being honest. He's still pretty famous these days, although you're more likely to catch him prancing about on Strictly Come Dancing, Big Brother Come Dine With Me, and I don't know, Celebrity Pigeon Racing. It seems like he's still pretty famous these days means he's he's moved on to the, you know, Strictly Come Dancing celebrity idiot, Big Brother, Big Brother celebrity, whereas like, okay, you're about the same level celebrity as me, aren't you? So let's just say it's like D-list. Goldie certainly seems like the kind of guy who would know the real identity of Banksy, partly because he used to be a young graffiti artist in the 1980s, but mainly because the pair of it both acknowledge that they're good friends, and Banksy claims that Goldie's street art was a major influence on his own career. During the 2007 interview in the Distraction Pieces podcast, Goldie started talking about how he felt that the real graffiti scene was still largely misunderstood by the masses, whilst it was a piece of piss to sell any old piece of merch that looked a bit like Banksy stuff. The way he put it, give me a bubble letter and put it on a t-shirt and write Banksy on it and we're sorted. Oh, we can sell it now. Just in case anyone thought he might be dissing his mate Banksy, Goldie immediately followed this up with, no disrespect to Rob, I think he's a brilliant artist. He has flipped the world of art over. Okay, that seems like he just told people his name is Robert. There was a bit of an awkward pause here in the podcast before Goldie briskly changed the subject as if nothing had happened and he hadn't revealed the first name of Banksy live on air. And get this, one of the two main suspects has the first name of Rob, so we may as well get ready to reveal the identity of Banksy in the next sentence. Oh, hang on a minute. Both of the two main suspects have the first name of Rob. Damn it. Okay, well, let's get, let's get into it. Robert 3D Del Nair. You may remember right at the beginning of this video, we mentioned a Bristol graffiti artist who went by the name 3D and who helped inspire Banksy to pick up a spray can after 3D embarked upon a very different career path. That different career path involved forming the hugely acclaimed multi-award winning trip-hop collective Massive Attack, who went on to regularly top the UK album charts. Definitely heard of them. Didn't know what they did. It was called Trip-Hop, though, but there you go. I can remember they briefly had to change their name to Massive for one of their biggest singles ever, Unfinished Symphony, in 1991 as they felt a band named Massive Attack wouldn't get any radio support during the ongoing Gulf War. But perhaps Robert 3D Darnar was more than just an inspiration for Banksy. Perhaps 3D was Banksy all along. Banksy and 3D have always acknowledged that they are friends. Banksy provided the foreword for 3D's 2015 book, 3D and the Art of Massive Attack, which might have been a fairly simple business negotiation if they were the same person. And it's also worth noting that Goldie and 3D are also very good friends, leading to speculation that this must surely be the Rob that Goldie accidentally mentioned in the 2017 podcast. But UK journalism graduate Craig Williams dished up some slightly more interesting evidence in 2016 when he began to draw intriguing correlations between Massive Attack gigs and the appearances of new street art from Banksy. Hello. 
Following rumors surfacing in Italy that Banksy and 3D were one and the same, Craig began delving into the history of both and dug up some quite incredible coincidences. Craig lists dozens of examples in which Banksy and 3D appeared to be in roughly the same location at the same time. To pluck just a few examples from a very long list, Massive Attack played a show at Los Angeles Hollywood Bowl in 2006, just around a week after Banksy pulled off the Guantanamo Bay prisoner stunt in Disneyland. In 2008, 3D made a documentary on Hurricane Katrina around the same time that Banksy was painting the streets of New Orleans. Just a few days after Massive Attack played a concert in San Francisco, no less than six new Banksy murals popped up in the city. Both Banksy and 3D, if they are indeed separate entities, have denied the connection. When Banksy was asked by a Bristol community magazine if he could confirm he was in fact the front man of Massive Attack, he bluntly responded, No, I am not. Meanwhile, 3D gave a slightly lengthier response during a later interview. He said, It's wishful thinking. It's a good story, but sadly not true. He's a mate, and he's been able to come to some of the gigs. It's purely a matter of logistics and coincidence, nothing more than that. It's a pretty hefty list of logistics and coincidences, though, and I can't help the feeling that Robert 3D Donaire would almost certainly have been the prime suspect in the Banksy mystery if it wasn't for the other Rob. Yeah, I mean, this seems I wouldn't. They're mates. He could have just been going to some of his concerts. He probably was. Um, I don't think it's definitive proof, and I think this next one is probably going to make me question it even more. So let's see. Robin Gunningham. It looks as if Banksy's face may have been captured on camera as early as 2004. During a period when it was known that Banksy had flown to Jamaica to work on several art projects, a photograph emerged which appeared to show the artist at work in Jamaica with spray cans and stencils at his feet. You could even clearly see his face on this one. It was a picture of a fairly ordinary-looking guy wearing a smile, blue shirt, and jeans. The only slight niggle is that it wasn't immediately recognizable. This was certainly no 3D or Jamie Hewlett or Neil Buchanan. It seemed to suggest that the career of Banksy was no side venture from a celebrity well-known in another field. Instead, Banksy was just an unknown guy with an unfamiliar face, the kind of face that could probably hang around unseen and unnoticed at art galleries and exhibitions and auctions and movie premieres, which kind of makes a lot more sense when you think about it. The Mail on Sunday newspaper claimed to have finally identified the face in the photograph in 2015. During an impressively extensive investigation into the matter, which even involved tracking down the guy's old school friends and family, more on that in a bit, they reckon that the face belonged to Bristol street artist Robin Gunningham. Born in 1973 in a wealthier suburb of Bristol, a young Robin actually attended a pretty expensive public school called the Bristol Cathedral, which may disappoint some Banksy fans who like to think that he was somehow born in a subway and raised by wolves. The 1989 school photograph Rob Gunningham was dug up, which certainly seems to resemble the guy caught in the 2004 snap. Yeah, but a school photo compared to an adult. What, 1989, 11, 12, 15 years? If you looked at me from 15 years ago, I'm going to look a bit different. In a school photo, oh well, university photos. <laughs> I'm not that young anymore. Apparently, the famous moniker was derived from Rob's old school name, Robin Banks, which he later shortened to Banksy. His old mates remember Robin as being an extremely gifted artist, while the former neighbor of the family home had this to say when interviewed. The family was always very nice. I don't know for sure, but I think Robin was working as a graffiti artist. He worked for other people and would disappear for months on end. He was quite nomadic. I would not go so far as to say he went off the rails, but there was some sort of rift in the family, probably because he didn't turn out quite as they'd hoped. He just disappeared after he left home. The dates certainly add up, as Robin left Bristol and moved to London in the late 90s, a move which mirrors the journey of Banksy. Just to put the newspaper investigation on pause for a moment, though, it's also worth noting that around a year after the Mail on Sunday ran their story, researchers at Queen Mary University in London showed their full support for the theory when they published a report which revealed that geographic profiling backed up this idea. This method of statistical mapping is more commonly used to monitor criminals and repeat offenders. 
They just applied it to Banksy. Just leave the poor fucker alone. <laughs> he obviously wants to be let alone. Can't we respect that? Why do we need to know who he is so badly? Or monitor the spread of infectious diseases, but in this case, the university researchers used it for the far more important task of potentially identifying a graffiti artist. Leave him alone, you bastards. <laughs> the geographic profiling essentially attempted to find patterns between the locations of 140 Banksy works in Bristol and London and areas in which Robin was known to have lived or hung out. From this data, six key locations or hotspots were identified, including a pub, playing field, and a residential address, which appeared to suggest a strong connection between the works of Banksy and places frequented by Robin Gunningham. Co-author of the report, Steve Lacoma, told the police, I'd be surprised if it's not Gunningham, even without our analysis, but it's interesting that the analysis offers additional support for it. It rapidly became apparent that there is only one serious suspect and everyone knows who it is. End quote. Another interesting point here is that Banksy's lawyers took the unusual step of attempting to delay publication of the report, allegedly on the grounds that it amounted to an invasion of privacy. Uh-oh, you're drawing attention to it! Although they managed to delay publication for a week, there was nothing they could do in the long term as geographic profiling is an entirely legal process which only uses publicly available data. So let's head back to the Mail on Sunday, who are now on the hunt for people who knew Robin Gunningham. Like, I get we all want to leave him alone, but this is quite exciting reporting, isn't it? Even if it is from the bloody mail on Sunday. They managed to find an artist called Luke Egan who used to share a house with Robin in Bristol in the 1990s, but he was pretty tight-lipped. He denied ever knowing either Robin Gunningham or Banksy, despite the fact that the electoral roll showed that he'd lived with Robin, and he was also known to have later shared an exhibition with Banksy. This is looking very hot, isn't it? Camilla Stacey, a curator of Bristol, Bristol Galaxy, later bought the property in question in 2000 and confirmed that Robin had been a former talent, whilst also noting that the walls of a new pad had been covered in Banksy-esque graffiti. Finally, the Mail on Sunday tracked down Robin's long-divorced parents and presented them each with the 2004 photograph taken in Jamaica to see if it jogged any memories of their son. Their responses were peculiar. Robin's mother, Pamela, revealed that she had a daughter but did not have a son, and then went on to deny that she was Pamela Gunningham, insisting that the electoral role must be wrong. Holy shit! This is him! This is way too suspicious! You're drawing way too much attention to me, like, yeah, maybe, I mean, probably not, maybe. I don't know. Just brush it off! Come on, don't be like, I'm not Simon! Who's Simon? I have no children! Don't be like that, it looks very suspicious. Robin's father, Peter, claimed not to recognize the man in the photograph and stated with a shrug, I can't help you, really. That's the correct response. Well done. Robin's father, Peter. But the Mail on Sunday felt that Peter's tone was bordering on the playful. Oh, so it's like, I can't help you. <laughs> really, I can't. I couldn't help you. Even if I wanted to, I couldn't help you. My son, Maxi. <laughs> Never. What are you talking about? It's impossible. I'd be very proud of him if he was, though. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how to react if a random stranger knocked on my door and asked if I was the father of a mysterious guy in a photograph. Depending on my mood, I'd suspect I'd either react with comical bafflements or just chase them, chase them down the driveway with a mop. I feel like this these parents, who've been sworn to secrecy by their son or whatever, and then someone comes, they're, they're just expecting it. At some point, someone's going to come to the door and say, like, oh, I'm with the mail on Sunday. Do you know this person? There's only one thing that's about. <laughs> they know it. And Peter's like, hey. <sighs> Okay, in the case of Robin's parents, neither of them appeared to raise an eyebrow, almost as if they had been expecting this question to be asked one day. Oh, it's this dude, isn't it? It does seem that Robin Gunningham is the most likely suspect of all, even if it still can't be definitively proven. Art experts seem to be leaning towards this theory with their wallets, as a Banksy star piece attributed to Robin Gunningham right recently sold at auction for £4,000, which is a pretty high price tag for a completely unknown artist. Four grand. Shit. If I'd have been there, I'd have bid for that. Because at some point, his identity will be revealed, and that will be worth a whole lot more money. 
Oh my, 4,000 pounds? I do think it's him. I want... I, that is... I. Yeah, no, I'd pay four grand for that. For sure. <laughs> I'd pay more than that. Of course, this is all being all be an elaborate web of deceit set up by Banksy himself to throw us all off the scent. And there's another quick theory, which I have to admit I find compelling most of all. Oh no, Danny, I just said I'd buy this guy's ass, and now you're like, it's, it's not that. It's not him. I tricked you, Simon. And also, other cool thing about that is, like, art is, art is about, like, interest. Like, I've got, like, different pieces of art on the wall, and they've, like, been bought at different times or given to me at different times. And they're all, like, you know, not generic. They're, like, things I, I like. And there's always a little story behind it. And having that piece of art on the wall, that's a cool story. Whoever's got that, I'll give you five grand for it. <laughs> Banksy is legion. When the UK journalism graduate Craig Williams first drew a strong connection between Massive Attack frontman 3D and Banksy, he actually felt a bit miffed that the press had largely dismissed the bigger theory that he was proposing. Banksy is not just one artist, he's a collective of artists, quite possibly led by 3D. Craig later complained, I'm pretty annoyed how this has come out as me basically saying that it's 3D. I wanted to focus more on the idea that it's a group of artists who share common themes mirroring the idea suggested in Shakespeare scholarship circles that a large body of work was done by many hands rather than one. It makes sense on many levels. It's clear that Banksy must at least have several accomplices. Some of his bigger and more ambitious pieces of work would have been impossible to carry out quickly, single-handedly. And the fact that he's managed to create so many different pieces of work all around the world in relatively short periods of time makes you wonder if it's not always the same guy or gal holding the spray paints and stencils. If we were to consider the case closed on the grounds that Robin Gunningham is clearly Banksy, uh, we would be completely disregarding the curious geographical coincidences relating to 3D and the suggestion that Girl creator Jamie Hewlett appears to have a financial connection with every commercial enterprise involving Banksy. Well, one, I think it is a coincidence because he's a fan of his music and they occasionally travel together as mates. And two, the financial connections have never been revealed. It's just some dude saying there are financial connections. Uh, I think it's Cunningham. Maybe Banksy's original gang or art collective Dry Bread's crew never actually split up and Banksy never went solo at all, it's just that the crew adopted a new name. Maybe the Banksy collective includes Robin Gunningham, 3D, Jamie Hewlett, Neil Buchanan, and the female artist who appeared in the documentary. Maybe it included King Robbo before his death. And maybe it even includes former councillor Billy Gannon. Now, scrap that last one, Billy Gannon is definitely not Banksy, he's got a badge to prove it. But I still reckon that the idea of Banksy being a collective rather than an individual is the most likely theory you have to go on. I think it's Gun Cunningham, Danny, we're on a different page. I mentioned at the beginning of the script, it's quite amazing how Banksy has managed to keep his secret for so long. It probably wouldn't do his career much good if it was conclusively proven that he was just some guy called Rob. For starters, he could potentially be arrested for hundreds of acts of vandalism. But I feel that another factor at play here is that most of his fans and admirers don't actually want the mystery to be solved. Yeah, just leave him alone. <laughs> They don't want Banksy to be unmasked as a children's TV presenter or a former public schoolboy who used to play hockey with his middle-class chums. They don't want the legend of a heroic subversive street crusader to be peeled away, even if the evidence ever proved to be overwhelming. In a way, his fans are complicit in helping to keep the secret. It's better to keep the enigma and the mystique intact. With that in mind, I implore you to forget everything you've just heard and pretend that, much like most of Banksy's original artwork, this video does not exist. Yes, thank you for being here today. I do think it's that Rob guy. <laughs> I wish I'd bought that piece of art by him. I'm, I'm pretty like, I feel it's that deed. I really feel it's that deed. Anyway, thank you so much for watching or listening. If you're listening as a podcast, please leave a review. That would be fantastic. If you're enjoying the show, smash that like button on YouTube, uh, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. And I'll see you next time.